Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Power Your Life Radio Show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on Power Your Life, and I hope you're having a great day no matter where you are. And despite challenges, I think what's most important is to be able to create a positive outlook within yourself regardless of what's going on and regardless of other people's views. I've just had a wonderful conversation with our fantastic guest who is amazing and does so many things and has a very important role in history. And I'm talking about Richard Chu, who's an author, historian, a deacon, as well as a hospice chaplain. He's written Living Well with Chronic Illness, A Practical and Spiritual Guide, and his recent book, Love Letters from Janie, 50 Years of Breaking Barriers Together, features the 167 letters from his wife, This tribute honors their 50-year love story, which is a testament to their love as well as their passionate support for each other to succeed despite the discrimination that they both battled. Richard's 65 oral histories that address the effects of America's Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 on 20th century Chinese Americans are archived at the Stanford University's Hoover Institution, He's an economist who created the economic plan transforming Taiwan into a modern economy. Richard's a neurophysiologist who received the United States patent for inventing a method for improving vision and also an auxiliary chaplain of the New York Fire Department. And I keep going on, Richard, a National Park Service volunteer, history interpreter, excuse me, who's given 90 talks on board Amtrak trains. Welcome, Richard Chu. Is there anything that you don't do? <laughs> oh, thanks. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I guess what happens was I just had this sense of curiosity. And when uh, Janie and I got engaged in 1960, she told her friends, I'm marrying a crusader rabbit. <laughs> and she kind of kept and she, later in life she said to me you never grew up I guess that's my problem <laughs> well I, I love what you do because you're there you've been helping people and really like I said earlier changing history uh, before we get into the book and into the, the beautiful story between you and your wife I want to go back a little bit to talk about the history and the the American Chinese Exclusion Act, because a lot of people aren't aware of that and what that means and then what you folks did to kind of counter that. So can you share that a little bit? Sure. Um, what happens was in, the, uh, in 1848, gold was discovered in California. 
uh, and it became you know, gold fever attacked it. American men from all over the nation, and they rushed to California uh, to make their fortune. They left wives behind. They mortgaged their properties. They just dropped everything and said, I'm going to make my fortune. Uh, unfortunately, uh, only 5% of them made enough to pay their bills. And you have a lot of not very happy people, uh, miners, white miners in California. And then all these people show up, from, especially from France and, and from South America, and then the Chinese. And uh, the, the white miners said, hey, that's our goal. Even if you found it on your own, that belongs to us. That's American goal. And eventually the French left and the uh, South Americans left from Mexico. But the Chinese stayed on. That really irritated people. Uh, and so, therefore, ultimately, it became the irritation with Chinese being present in the United States led to the passage of a national law called the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act, trying to get rid of all Chinese from the United States and not letting anybody in. Uh, and that Exclusion Act extended to Asian Americans over time, and it lasted until 1968. Asian Americans were not allowed to come into the United States and become citizens. And that, of course, Janie and I were born in the 30s, and it had affected the whole outlook of our lives. And the question about the book was, how do we deal with this, uh, this you know, barrier uh, to be, because we were born here, we're citizens, but there's also the racism, then uh, she has gender discrimination against women um, and other things. And that's what the book is about. How did she overcome this? And I, I talk about three kinds of barriers and some remedies uh, for dealing with the barriers so you can become the best you can be. And that's what the book's about. And that's so important. So let's get into to a couple of the barriers. Firstly, in terms of discrimination against women, what's, what's that about? And I know about oh, that. Oh, well, so. yeah. You know, in 1960, Janie was a senior at Stanford University, uh, beginning great and looking forward to her career, uh, and she wanted to become a doctor. American culture and Chinese-American culture said no. American culture said an educated woman can be a wife, a mother, and a housekeeper, and that's it. And then that book came out, you know, in the 1960s, 63, I guess, was about, you know, a feminine mystique, uh, who the author says women can have a career. Uh, and Janie's parents said, because uh, your husband, your future husband, is going to be in graduate school, you are to become a laboratory technician to support him. And the book is about how she overcame that cultural, you know, two cultures saying, no, you can only be a lab tech, how she overcame that discrimination, her uh, as a woman, and then there's, of course, the racism. So uh, it's about, and there's a third barrier I like to mention that many people don't recognize, and that is when you run into barriers, especially in school, you and I know as teachers, um, and I'm in school now doing my doctorate, um, the imposter syndrome. People don't talk about it, but that is the one that keeps people back from becoming who they are. And I think this is, uh, you know, uh, there's several remedies that come out of the book uh, for dealing with racism, gender discrimination, and imposter syndrome. So talk a little bit about what the, because a lot of people don't know what the imposter syndrome is. Okay. Uh, let's take it. Usually it occurs uh, when you are in a, uh, you know, uh, you're hired into a position uh, or a job, or at school, especially at school. 
you're admitted to a very fine college, university, and you're taking classes, and everyone seems to be smarter than you are. And you begin to have, and you're struggling because the transition from high school to college is quite, it's difficult unless you've been to a private high school, which they teach you, prepare you. So that transition, you begin start to doubt yourself that you don't belong there. Uh, that's in school. In some cases, uh, let's say for us, um, at, at Stanford, in my class in 1955, uh, the class of 12,500 freshmen, we called them freshmen then, uh, the quota for Asians was seven. There are going to be seven Asian-American students out of 1,250, and wow. if you're struggling, if you're struggling to be part of it, you say, oh "My God, there's no one like me here. <laughs> I have to go through. You know, uh, I seldom run into someone who's like me. It's hard to find someone who understands what I'm about. And and that you begin to doubt yourself, or even if you're just one of the twelve, it's just like everybody else. But you don't seem to be. You seem to be having problems in your job or something. You get job promoted to a manager, and you weren't a manager before." And you begin to doubt whether you have the skills. You really have the skills because they hired you and they promoted you, but you don't believe it. And there's a need to come that. And so I have several remedies, which are really in the book. I didn't. After I wrote the book, I realized I had these remedies. I never. I should have made them more clear. Well, we can talk a little bit about them. I just want to go back to imposter syndrome for a minute because it just it it, it may not necessarily be about race or gender. It could be about your your learning abilities, the way you sing, you know, so many different things that can affect what mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. you don't belong or less than, and that, and that's really important because a lot of people are still facing that today. So let's delve into the book. Why did you start writing the book in the first place? It's got so much wonderful information in it, but what was, what was the, the, the stim for writing it, Richard? Oh, okay. Uh, I've been working on a history book for 40 years, um, and, and it involves, you know, I, I'm a, I guess, from a, until I start my PhD in history, I'm an amateur historian, right? I'm doing this independently on my own, and I've gathered information that's now going to be part of my dissertation. And um, I diagnosed Jenny, you know, as a neurophysiologist, I diagnosed Jenny with a terminal brain disease. And took care of her at home for 13 years, hired help, and ultimately set up an ICU, an intensive care unit in the apartment, and took care wow. of her uh, until her last until her last breath. I was while working full time, I was her night shift nurse from 6 p.m. to 8 a.m. 24/7 for three years. Um, and at the end of her life, I could see, you know, <laughs> I'm a chaplain. I understand the medical side, and I could see she was struggling the last day to stay alive. And I understand as a chaplain, she wanted to take care of me. And so I whispered in her ear, Janie, it's time to go home to God. You know I have work to do. I have a book to write. I'll be fine. She died a few hours later. That, that, that you know, interestingly, I did important. something similar with my mother who who ah. seemed to be, she wasn't able to talk, she wasn't able to move, she couldn't eat at the time, she was, she was really declining. Mm-hmm. Now, why were her... I'm a little static here, I don't hear you. Are you moving around? 
No, I, I haven't moved. I haven't done anything. Do you want want to reconnect? Try to call me back. Wait. It's... Yeah. Shall I do that? Is that okay? Yeah. Let's do that. Well, it just stopped. Okay. I'm I'm going to I'm going to terminate now, and I'll call you right back. Okay. Great. So I'm not sure why we're having technical difficulties, but stand by because what Richard has to say is is really very important, and we need to hear it, and we need to recognize that that many people, no matter where they are, have challenges, and historically many people, and even today, have been discriminated against. Okay, here's Richard. Go back on. Hi, Richard. Yeah. Hi, how are you? I don't know what that was. <laughs> don't have a spirit. I don't know either. So, I, again, I think that that's very important, and, and the same thing happened with my mom, and I said, it's okay, we'll be all right. You know, it's okay that you go, and she died soon after. So I think sometimes people kind of will stay here for us, and mm-hmm. but it really is their time and 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 so that's beautiful what you did. Okay, go ahead. Continue. <laughs> okay, so uh she passed in 2015. <laughs> I'm starting my PhD in history. I'm doing all these other crazy things. And on June 7th, 2021, I was I said I need a vacation. I got to get away. So I got on an airplane on the way to Alaska. On the airplane for some reason, I started to write, and I finished and published the book a year later on May 1st, uh, wow. 2022, this year. Uh, and I said, um, what happened was I started writing, because I've written a book before, and of course, in, in school you do a lot of writing, but I said to myself, you got to learn from the previous book. I have, it takes nine skills to successfully publish, uh, write and publish a book. I have three skills. So I went out and hired six other people and created this publishing company. And I told them we're going to do it in one year. They said, it's not possible. I said, I just sent you a chart. Here's where you're supposed to be at a certain time. We're all going to do it. <laughs> you know, I'm a manager, too. And, and we got it done. Uh, and the whole idea was to say, yeah, this is possible. What, the, the thing is recognizing what I can do and what I can't do. That's really the beginning of you know, becoming your best. What? Who am I? What can I do? And what are my deficits? Will cover your deficits. You go out as a manager. You go out and find people with skills, so as a team you can you know achieve what you want to do. And that's what how it came. It sounds very managerial, but that's how I approached it, uh, and that allowed me to write creatively. You know, it's also important that people say it's not it's not possible. It's not possible. And you said yes, it is. Here, I'll show you how. And that happens yeah. a lot. People are getting messages. Well, you can't do that. It's not possible to do that. You need to not pay attention to that and really stick to, well, I believe I can do it, and here's my way, which is exactly what you're describing, Richard, and what you did. You know, uh, uh, people get in their own way. Oftentimes, that's true. In terms of the discrimination that you were talking about, that Janie went through in terms of women and also um, being an Asian American. How has that different differentiated today or, or what's changed, if anything? 
Uh, today, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I believe that in her time in the 60s through the 80s to now in the 2022 to this year, uh, as the higher you go in an organization, the more subtle it is. Racism is still there. People grow up and have certain beliefs. Uh, you know, I say zebras don't change their stripes. Um, and I think that we have to learn how to deal with it, how to un- recognize it, and how to do it. Because you have to choose your battles carefully. You can't fight everything that someone says to you. Maybe it isn't racist. Maybe they just said something, and I misinterpreted. You know. So I think the uh, my advice to my students and my mentees, I, I'm mentoring about six people at the moment, um, is the importance of understanding options. Every question, situation you're looking at, there are three options, and people don't realize the third option. Yes, I can do that. No, I won't do that. Let me think about it. As a, as a captain of the fire department and an EMT, I've been in life-saving, life-threatening situations. Fifth thing, let me think about it ultimately comes up with a better answer. So I think that the difference is that um, uh, racism is still there. And we've seen that because of the last president we had. Uh, The anti-Asian thing has really become very, very vibrant. Uh, But there are other kinds of things because we bring our backgrounds in and we look at people based on how we were raised and our culture we're in. And I think that we have to learn how to respond to it uh, carefully, carefully. And say, okay, this this is not something. I'll just try to get away from this. I won't respond to what I've done. Uh, the other is saying, okay, this is a situation that needs to be dealt with, or this is a situation that could be dangerous. I need to get out of here. Uh, I think that third option. Let me think about it for 15 or 30 seconds. Okay, what should I really do? Is the best way to deal with discrimination. It hasn't gone away. Women's discrimination. Uh, you know, women gender discrimination. Uh, uh, racism, they're still there. They're very vibrant. So we have to learn, we ourselves have to learn how to deal with it one-on-one. My, Me, I have to learn how to deal with it. I also think that people have to really be able to learn that it, it's wonderful to have so many differences and, and it can, can actually add value to a country, to a facility, to an organization, to whatever, and we need to be able to start embracing that more, and and that's so important. You know, when I work with individuals, you were saying about that third option, sometimes people's minds are incredibly overactive, and it keeps going and going and going, and I'll, I'll say, sometimes you can tell your mind if it's telling you about doing this or not doing that, thank you. I'll take it under advisement, or thank you, I don't have all the information yet, so that your mind doesn't constantly pulse you into a direction that you're not ready for. So I think that's important. So you were talking earlier, Richard, about some of the techniques that you've been utilizing in, that are in the book in terms of handling some of the, the, the discrimination and other kinds of things. Can you address at least a couple of them with, for our listeners? Uh, uh, yeah, I think one is recognizing, knowing yourself, in your talents and your deficits. Janie in the book was an extreme introvert. <laughs> After she wrote these letters, which she said, everything that came to mind in those, just during our engagement period, she shut down. And so I would get hints of what's going on. But she 
understood what she was doing. I, I like to ha- point people to page 119, Janie's aha moment, when she realized she was really good at research. That page 119 in, in the letters, suddenly she recognized, oh, I'm really good at research. And uh, uh, one of her uh, the researchers, the doctors, said, oh, and grabbed her and took her to an uh, impromptu meeting with other doctors because Janie had got an insight into a method of doing research that they had not thought about. That aha moment comes when you are relaxed and comfortable knowing who you are. Um, I think you have to select a goal that matches your talents and deficits. And Janie, in the book, we see Janie's total commitment. And I advise, I'm sure you do the same, we tell our students and mentees to be fearless, not be afraid of mistakes, because society teaches to be afraid of mistakes. But we need to make be able to make mistakes and learn from them. And then the last thing is Janie's very selflessness. Selflessness leads to communication, which is in short supply in the you know in our society now. So those are the kind of things I suggest that can come out of the book. I didn't get around to realizing it until after I finished the book. But I want to share that with your listeners because this can help you overcome imposter syndrome and other barriers. You know, it's really important to, to know who you are, both, like you said, the, the talents that we have, our strengths, as well as our deficits. And you're so right, Richard, because if, if we need to make mistakes. We make mistakes, and rather than beating yourself up, which many people do, and then they can't move forward, think about what that mistake taught you and how you learn from it so that you can grow from it rather than feel that you can't move on and, and, and feel immobilized from it, and, and that's really, really important. So you talk also about why mentorship, and you mentor, like you said, so many people, and you, and you help Janie along too. Why is mentorship and, and, and having a mentor so, so essential? I think mentorship allows you to see yourself from a different perspective, get out of yourself from someone. You know, quite often mentoring, we don't we don't say, "Oh, this is your problem." Uh, we know you and I, as we mentor our talk to our students, so we recognize what the problem. But then how can we help them understand that there's another way of doing things? To over, you know, and uh, Janie's situation was um, her imposter syndrome was so great, her, her parents insisting she become a laboratory technique. I'll share with you this little experience we had. Uh, when we got married, we were up at the med school. I was about to ready to start my grad studies. And the night before I, I registered, I stole her father's technique because he wanted her to always be the little girl. I sat her down on my lap, my bride, and I said, you are smarter than I am. You have to understand that. You are smarter than I am. You're a Stanford graduate. You're a certified California State public uh, microbiologist. You have done independent research at Stanford. You work for a Nobel Prize winner. You cannot come home tonight as a laboratory technician. You're going to find somewhere over the med school a scholarship. If you don't find a scholarship, I'm going to keep the door locked. <laughs> and that triggered her. That triggered her. She came home that night. We, had, we got home together, and she said, my scholarship is $5 bigger than yours. <laughs> but you see, <laughs> I realized... I how yeah how realize how important it was to help her over that hurdle. And so how did her parents to, 
on who were so again again had a very very rigid view as many parents do as to what their children especially females can achieve or not be how did her parents respond to that richard uh, her father never talked to me again. Um, basically, throughout our lives, it was my, you've taken my little daughter. Uh, my mother-in-law was wonderful. She was very supportive. But uh, the, the end result was, oh, I did something really terrible. <laughs> I wrote them a letter about a you month after we were married. at all. <laughs> yeah, I wrote them a letter and said, come visit us, but don't stay. <laughs> <laughs> In other words, you know, we are building our life. You have yours. Under the undertone is we. You had your life. You had your turn. We're building our life, and I'm going to help Jenny become all that she can become because I know how good she is, and I know what a wonderful person she is, and I'm going to help her break out of that bear, the the fence that you've built around her. And basically, the key was helping her to learn her to become fearlessness, not being afraid of mistakes, but more importantly, to to Help, uh, help grow her sense of selflessness. She was always reaching out to other people. Uh, and this is important in today's society because if you see six foot dinner looking at their cell phones, you need to be able to reach out to others because the others may have something that you should know. You know? But it's very discouraging to go in a restaurant and see people across from each other looking at their cell phones instead of talking because talking with someone is how we grow. It's not just in in restaurants. It's I see people walking with their kids and their oh. little kids, and it's an incredible opportunity to to increase language and to and and look around and and talk about the birds and whatever else is going on, so that your children can learn. And yet, I see parents glued to their cell phones and their kids just there, and I'm thinking. What are you doing? So I'm, I'm in total support of that. I, I don't get it, Richard. I really don't get it. Well, it's all about self-entitlement. And it occurred after World War II. Uh, I'm going back as a historian. After World War II, those okay, who ahead. survived and came home and said, wow, uh, I've just lived through the Depression. I'm a Depression-aged child. I've managed to not get killed or wounded in World War II. I want to give my kids everything, everything. All the things that I missed as a Depression child and during the Depression, we're going to get everything. We're going to give them everything. Well, that change, that kind of attitude, because I used to be um, an advisor to uh, one of the top prep schools in the nation, and I would talk to the, you know, the direct, the head of it, the headmaster. Uh, and there was a shift somewhere in the 90s where parents said to their children at this very expensive school, you have to be this. This is your goal, putting stress on it. And then we got the, then we got the cell phone, which I, my cell phone is my, is my computer. I love it. But on the other hand, the result of social media is a sense of me, M-E. That sense of me is most important. I, okay, a quick, a quick little story. Uh, I was the uh, keynote speaker at uh, New York City Hospital for all the hospitals coming together on patient safety. So I was given a keynote lecture, and I get told this joke, which they understood. I live at uh, the most, one of the most active intersections in New York City, and I see people with their cell phones walking across, not paying attention. I said, if 
I see one hit someone hit by a car, I am not stopping to help. And a gasp went up from this audience of 200 people. You, wow. a neurophysiologist, an EMT, you're not going to help? And I said, yes, I don't do mental cases. And they, <laughs> they got it. They got it. <laughs> so, you know, I understand where people are coming from. You and I understand. We see, we talk to people. But if that's where your life is, uh, I see it. Key to success in life is reading. Whether it's high school, college, afterwards in your job, you have to keep learning because the world's changing. And if you think it's your, your quote, friend on that other end of the cell phone is, is your answer to life's problems, you've got a big problem. <laughs> you've got a big problem. <laughs> and I laughed. I was in the, e, I was in the ER. This, this young woman was on, on a gurney being pushed, and she's next to her doctor. And instead of talking to her doctor, who's only going to be with her for exactly 30 seconds, She's calling some of her friends to, to tell her, oh, I'm on a gurney in the ER. You just missed an opportunity to improve your health. <laughs> but she was yeah. so important about being proud. So uh, you and I understand that it. it's a social issue. I try to keep people engaged. That's my, that's my goal. For those who are interested, stay engaged. Right, and I think that's very important, and there are may, many ways to stay engaged. And also, like you said, we're—I believe—we're here to continuously learn, and it's important that we do that in in many different ways. Now, your book—I mean, both of you, both you and Janie, had careers and and had differences as well as building, you know, a, a life together. How did you? How did you? work with that and balance that out in terms of career, different careers and, and supporting one another? Well, the secret was being connected. Every night uh, we, we would have a glass. So when the kids are in bed, everything's done, or, you know, even the kids are in college. We sat down every night before the end of the evening, and had a glass of wine together. The wine wasn't important. It was a, a, we had a social hour. Maybe it was only 15 minutes. We would share things. She said, oh, I found this for you during the day. You might be interested in this. I would do the same. And we would go over the whole day. We would just share things. It was never recorded. I can't remember the conversations. But every single night of our life, we communicated at the end of the day. If we were, one was traveling, we would call each other just to say hi. So we would stay connected. And that connection allowed me to stay connected with her through her neurological disease. As her ability to speak and so on declined, we stayed connected until her last breath. So staying connected was an effort that we started in the beginning of our marriage and it lasted 54 years. You know, that's a very powerful lesson for families and for parents with their children and also for couples. I, I work with a lot of couples, and they don't seem to have any time or may, it's not have, make time like you and Janie did to, to spend some valuable time, whatever it is, when the kids are asleep or whatever. That is essential in keeping up the communication and in really giving vibrancy and supporting the relationship in one another. So I'm so glad that you were able to do that. What do you want our listeners, our readers, to get out of this book, Richard? Well, I would think that uh, they could understand about themselves. They could see barriers we face and look at your own barriers. It may not have to be the same barriers they have, but everybody has barriers for 
self-created or imposed, and to begin to understand yourself. Uh, as I mentor my mentees and students, the idea is first you have to recognize who you are and select a goal that matches your talent, and then go for it. You know, uh, I, I I fantasize a lot. Uh, I, I'm a singer, uh, an amateur singer. I was the uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral. <laughs> I know, I found time for that. Uh, <laughs> I love soloist, it. But, but I understood I was never going to be able to perform on a stage like my, <laughs> like my teacher. So, you know, I stayed within my confines. I can still fantasize, but I'm never going to, you know, I sang that thing. And I think Are you going to sing for us before we hang up? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to ruin your program. (laughs) But I think, yeah, the idea is to get out of and see a reflection yourself. Use it as a mirror. Not because, yeah, these things happened in 1960. Some of them are still happening. But look at it as a mirror to reflect on yourself. Oh, Oh yeah, yeah. That I can relate to that. Well, where am I with it? You know, how does that? How do I relate to it? The book is to help people propel themselves forward, especially young women uh, and girls in high schools like that, to understand you can do it, but you have to be smart about it. <laughs> you can't just be like me, fantasizing all the time. You know, crusader <laughs> rabbit. Uh, but, well, but fantasizing say, yeah, is very important. Yeah. So let's not let's not discount fantasizing. <laughs> yeah, but right. well, <laughs> you also need to be able to to take action and and move forward because you've done both, and that's important. So writing love letters, writing letters to your partner, even writing letters to your children. Why is that so important? And it seems to be something that that is not so prevalent these days, and why should we bring that back? Okay, the difference between writing letters uh, and text messages, no one uses Gmails except us old school folks. Uh, uh, text messages, uh, everything's shortcut. Short uh, they don't even use grammar. Uh, the thing is, it's about me. Contemporary co- uh, communications is about me. When you write a letter, you have to sit down and think, what is it I'm trying to tell the other person? How do I communicate it so that they be receptive? You have to actually spend time. Writing a short letter is extremely difficult. It's easier to just blab on and write something long. But writing a letter requires thinking about how I'm going to communicate with someone else about something I'm thinking that they can relate to. Uh, that's not true when I listen. You know, I see text messages. It's short. Uh, they don't respond. Uh, and there's, there's a tendency now for the generations behind me not to respond to the emails or uh, text messages. It's just like it went into a vacuum. Hello? Did you, did you get my message? If it's really important, I actually have to send a, a backup message. Did you receive my email? I actually, actually have to respond and get someone, uh, you know, the millennials. They don't respond. It's like, oh, I, I hope you, if it's important, I do send it back up and say, did you receive it? Uh, and that seems like, to me, 40, 20 years ago, it would never been necessary. But now I have right. to be sure if it's important that you receive it. So it's, it's, it's a change in communication about the sense of entitlement, the focus on me versus what I think is the key to success is selflessness. 
And I think that's so very important, and I, and I live by that and teach that too, so that's wonderful. You know, I, again, I, I work a lot with couples and do counseling and coaching, and, and some of the biggest challenges that they have is when they are texting each other because the communication gets misconstrued, and again, it doesn't seem personal as you're talking about, and it's an, and so... Sometimes I've had to say, do not communicate with with your partner that way because it's not working and it's creating more tension in the relationship. And and sadly, that's true. Now, you and Janie went through a, a lot of different challenges that you've mentioned. And can you share one or two of them with our listeners as to how you both worked through them together? Because that's a beautiful part of, of this book as well. I think the most important part was sitting back and kind of seeing where Janie is at any stage of what's going on. Yeah, okay. When she, we, we, we moved into New York City so she could be closer to her doctors in the latter part of her illness. But she was still, she was in a wheelchair and she, um, uh, her brain was fine. She was very thinking, but she just physically was losing it. Uh, she couldn't use her hands very well, but she could speak very well. Her brain was going very well. And I said to myself, she loves books. She would love to be a volunteer at the New York Public, the, the main branch of New York Public Library on Fifth Avenue, the one with the lions. And I right. said, if I, if I offer to her to help her, she'll say no. <laughs> this is a husband-wife thing. If I said, uh, how about becoming a volunteer at the library? She'll say no. So what I did, I knew her, one of her best friends. Was a uh, was a leader in the volunteers at the library, so I called Joan. Her name was Joan, and said, "You know, Jamie would love to be a volunteer, but she doesn't know how to get into the system. And you know, she's got this issue. She's in a wheelchair. She probably will not. Oh, she she oh, she would hesitate." Joan says, "I'll take care of it." <laughs> and, the, and the director of volunteers sent Janie a letter inviting Janie to become a volunteer. And Janie, not knowing I was behind the scenes pulling the strings, oh, look, I got this letter. I would like to do that. I said, oh, okay, sure. Uh, we'll get you over, your, 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 your nursing assistant, or I will make sure you get there for your, your tour every week, whatever days you're at. And for over a year, she had a wonderful time as a volunteer in the library. Uh, just and she would share with me. Oh yeah, someone said this. I did this, or so on. And it became a, a high point in her terminal years. But she never knew that I made it possible. Yeah, I was going to say, did she ever find out? But you just answered that question. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that was yeah. What's so important yeah. though is. That Sometimes people do need help, but but they don't want it from their partner. Or and so what you did, you handled yes. it beautifully. You you were able to get her what she needed in a way that she could accept it and, and feel comfortable about it. And again, that's so true with 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 couples and with with parents and their children. I mean, figure out ways that. Just because somebody says something that you're going to say, no, I don't want it because it's coming from your mother or your or it's coming from your <laughs> right, spouse. Exactly. Right. So, so there may need to be other ways to intervene on a positive note to make that happen. Richard, I mm-hmm. could talk to you forever because <laughs> you're wonderful. <laughs> Tell Thank our you. listeners what's next for you 
and then we'll talk about all the wonderful stuff that you've done so that people can contact you and find out more. Okay. I think uh, if the book is available through Amazon and Barnes and & Nobles and bookstores are ordering it through their channels. The important thing is that how you spell my last name. It's C-H-E-U. Uh, and if, but if you look for love letters from Janie, uh, it comes up uh, automatically now at Barnes and Nobles and uh, Amazon. And the point of the of the book is to help people be their very best. Uh, and that's you know you can see all the things we did, Janie and I did. And we you know if they tend people tend to focus on the accomplishments because I'm all over the place. I tend to accomplish a lot. But the thing is, there always were mentors who helped me. Uh, I, I understood the battle, and I lost some. I gained some. Uh, and I I learned from my mistakes how to grow, and I think that's part of it. So if people look for C-H-E-U, is my last name, and care to look at the book, or they can just go to something called ChewWrites.com. That's the website, C-H-E-U-W-R-I-T-S. Dot com, And that's our website. You don't have to buy the book. You can kind of take a look at the book inside. So I appreciate the chance to share with people how to, uh, you know, gain some insight from the book. Beautiful. And what's next for you? You're going for another degree. <laughs> yeah, I'm writing, I'm writing my dissertation in world history. It's driving me crazy. My classmates are 60 years younger. My professors are 30 years younger. I'm the oldest one on campus. And I'm having a great time. So what are you going to do once you get the degree? Uh, well, I'm going to turn to – this now looks like my dissertation is going to be based on the, the book I'm writing. Uh, then we'll turn the dissertation into a book. And then Beautiful. maybe I'll take a vacation. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I, I know. I know. But I, I – you know, something else will show up, I'm sure. I think so, just because of who you are. Richard, too, you are amazing. Thank you so much for sharing and for being a valuable guest on my show. Have a beautiful day. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Take care. Bye. So think about what Richard said. Bye-bye. Think about what Richard said because, again, we're continuously growing, and you need to be able to look at what your wonderful qualities are and and what are some of the areas that you're challenged in and not give up but be able to move forward. And if you think about, again, the relationship, and that's so important in this book and how it even can help you figure out what can I do better in my relationship and in communication, not only with my partner, with my kids, with myself, because that's really key. So, again, think about that because – The book is beautiful. It's got so much information in it, and it can really help you. And and as Richard said, too, that what I love is it's important to be selfless. We're living in a society today where, and Richard said that, you know, it's a lot of me, me, me. But but I think we can change that in a way by really embracing the fact that it's more than just me, 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 and to really look beyond – look beyond gender, look beyond race, look beyond all different things and be able to really see this beautiful landscape of people that 
create our world and to embrace that in the most wonderful way as in addition to embracing yourself. So take care of yourself. Remember, this show is called Power Your Life because you have the ability to empower yourself. And sometimes it just means taking a few steps and moving forward. Have a great day. Take care. And thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.